Are you trying to create a podcast but don't have the money for all the equipment it takes? Maybe not so great with all the editing? Not sure how to distribute your podcast once you have everything recorded? Well, look no further because Anchor is here to help. Anchor is the easiest way to make podcasts. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your computer or phone. Anchor will also distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can also make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. And best of all, it's free. We looked at so many different distribution websites before finding Anchor and wish we had found it sooner. They even set you up with sponsors they think will fit the vibe of your podcast, which you can accept or decline at any time. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Happy podcasting! Hey, you want to grab a drink? This week on Marble Intoxicated, we bring you three mini murders that took place on or near Christmas. So get into it. So, Merry Christmas, y'all. This is going to be a horrifying Christmas. Oh, yeah. Hi, Sierra. Hi, Willie. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Oh, happy holidays. So, this week, we're going to keep it short and not so sweet. Oh. <laughs> because we want you to have your true crime fix. Uh, but we also want to keep it kind of merry and bright. But it's not going to happen because these are pretty dark. Mini murders. Yeah, we, we've decided we're going to call these mini murders when we do short little episodes like this. So today, I'm going to read you two stories, and Lily's going to read you a story. And they took place on or close to Christmas. So... <laughs> Just so you don't have to deal with your families, you get to listen to us. Right. Put your headphones in families. and ignore everything. I realized that all three of our cases are family annihilator cases. Oh. So um, while you're spending time with your loved ones this holiday, make sure to watch your back because they might try to kill you. <laughs> the first case I have is the Lawson family murders. Oh my god, that's which so fitting. Which is kind of fitting because for those of you that don't know, my last name is Lawson. I love that. Yeah. And her favorite holiday is Christmas. Yeah. And I love murder. <gasps> it was you. It was me. <laughs> My past life. Just before Christmas in 1929, Charles Lawson took his wife Fanny and their seven children to buy new clothes and get a family portrait taken. This was unusual because their family was normally pretty frugal, but since they had recently purchased a farm, they were making a little bit more money, so a Christmas shopping spree wasn't extremely unreasonable. It was said to be a nice family outing, and the portrait came out really good. However, on December 25th, Charles Lawson woke up and decided he was going to murder his whole family. He first shot his daughters, Carrie and Maybelle. He waited for them in the barn, and once they were in range, shot them with a 12-gauge shotgun. To ensure that they were dead, he then bludgeoned them before putting their bodies in the barn. What the fuck? I told you these were not so sweet. Next, he shot his wife, Fanny, who was sitting on the porch. His daughter, Marie, and his two young boys, Jame and Raymond, heard the gunshots and attempted to hide. Lawson shot Marie, and then he found the two boys and shot them as well. They tried to hide? Yeah. That's so sad. Yeah. Lastly, he killed baby Mary Lou by bludgeoning her to death. Oh no. I know. This is rough, guys. I'm sorry. 
After this, Charles went into the woods for several hours before shooting himself. Onlookers and police were at the home when the gunshot rang out and an officer ran into the wood to find Lawson's body lying there. Footprints had encircled a tree, suggesting that he'd been pacing before ending his life. What a fucking coward. Yeah. So, basically, he, he had been in the woods for hours, just, like, pacing. And then he finally shot himself. Okay, if he was going to kill himself, why did he have to kill his entire family? That's literally what I always say about family annihilator cases. Right, just go off yourself. I, yeah. Like, or you. Or, like, you, literally. Whether they kill themselves in the end or they don't, I'm like, why didn't you just... Why didn't you just... Start over, or or divorce your wife, which we could say about a few cases, or, you know, if you, like, if you were just gonna kill yourself in the end, yeah, why did you have to kill your whole family, too? The only surviving member of the family was 16-year-old Arthur Lawson, who Charles had sent on an errand just before murdering his family. So, so he saved his son. Yeah, he saved his oldest son. Why? What? I have no clue. Why couldn't he just He save... liked him the best. <laughs> oh my god. Why couldn't he just save them the trouble and just go fucking kill himself in the woods? That's a terrible thing to That's, say, but uh, like... Yeah, but I mean, if... Yeah. <laughs> We're all thinking it. <laughs> There's just no nice way to put it. Because, like, what? Uh... Yeah, stop it. Get some help. I don't know. 1929, man. People were a little wild. They, they were a little extreme. People are still extreme. What am I talking about? Yeah. But he, it's, it's suggested that he saved his one son, Arthur, because he set him out on an errand, and then right as he left, started shooting his entire family. Oh, that's sad. Yeah. So, there was a book written about this case called White Christmas, Bloody Christmas, that says rumors had been circling that Charles Lawson had an incestuous relationship with his daughter, Marie, resulting in a pregnancy. Oh, I remember this. Yep. Yeah. So, that was just rumors at first. And then the day before the book was published, a family member told the author that she heard her aunts talking about the affair, and a close friend of Marie's named Ella May reported that a few weeks before Christmas, Marie had told her she was pregnant by her own father. So I don't know if that was maybe like the motive is that that was getting out or something. And so, so if you like look at the psychology of family annihilators, nothing makes sense. No, <laughs> it's not supposed to. Family annihilators tend to all have the similar psychology of just, I want it to end, so I'm just going to take everyone out, even if I'm going to end up ending my own life at the end as well. Which is nuts. Yeah, they just want to wipe the slate clean, mm -hmm. either with their whole family and themselves, or their whole family and then they, you know, move to another country or something. I get so mad when I hear about family annihilators that then kill themselves, because they were, they were too cowardice to go and... FaceTime for their crimes, like... Yeah. So, I don't know, I feel like maybe that was part of the... Like, maybe that was the trigger, is that people were finding out what he was doing. Ooh, do you think the whole family... Yeah. The baby didn't know. The baby, the baby didn't know. Arthur probably knew then. The oldest boy probably knew. So why'd you leave him? That's I don't know. Terrible. So that's that's the end of that case. So the next one... Um, which I didn't know this at the time, like, until I was researching, because I had, um, I found a list of 12 murders that happened on Christmas on crimeandinvestigation.com, and so I was looking through them, and I read, like, the synopsis of the cases, and I wrote down these two names, and then mm -hmm. I went to Wikipedia, which is a more credible source than it used to be, oh, that's and I, uh, looked up all the information, because like I said, they're small cases, there's mm -hmm. not really much to them. Yeah. So, 
I researched one, and then I began researching the other, and there are some very odd similarities. Okay. Like, a lot of parallels. I'm ready for it. So, the next one is about Ronald Gene Simmons. On the morning of December 22nd, 1987, in Dover, Arkansas, Robert Gene Simmons, a father of seven, the same, yeah, woke up and also decided he wanted to kill his family. On what day? This was on the 22nd. Okay. Yeah, so so, so most likely, like, given the Lawson family timeline, this might have been the day, years and years later, that Charles Lawson took his family to get the photo. That's just so like, right before Christmas. Yeah. Oh, that's... Roughly 60 years later. Wow. Yeah. Father of seven. First, he killed his wife, Rebecca, and his eldest son, Gene. He shot them both with a twenty-two caliber pistol. He then strangled his three-year-old granddaughter, Barbara. He waited for his other children to come home and told them that he had gifts for them, but he wanted to give them out one at a time. He took 17-year-old Loretta out back and strangled her and then held her underwater in a rain barrel. Next, he did the same thing with Eddie, Marion, and Becky. On December 26th, the rest of his family came to visit. His son Billy and wife Renetta were both shot. Their 20-month-old son Trey was strangled and drowned. He then shot Sheila, his other daughter, and husband Dennis. Simmons had previously sexually assaulted Sheila, resulting in the birth of his daughter-slash-granddaughter, Sylvia, who was seven years old. That's so fucking gross. Yeah, and he strangled Sylvia. Oh. Last in his family, he strangled Sheila and Dennis's 21-month-old. Simmons laid all their bodies in neat rows and covered them in coats, except for Sheila, who he covered in their nicest tablecloth. Wow. So that's another parallel, that he was sexually assaulting his daughter that resulted in a pregnancy. He wrapped his two grandsons in plastic sheets and left them in abandoned cars at the end of the street. Why? Who the fuck knows? <laughs> Everyone else is laid out, but he left them in abandoned cars at the end of the street. I'd... Simmons then went for a drink at his local bar. He spent that night and the rest of the weekend drinking and watching TV with the bodies in the house. <gasps> That's going to start to smell. Mm-hmm. He was literally in the house with 12 dead bodies for that... an entire weekend, just That's getting insane. drunk. And watching TV. That's insane. Yeah, and disgusting. No, no that's so gross. I Rigor Mortis is uh, <laughs> setting in real good. I mean, I guess it was cold, but... Yeah, it was Arkansas, but that's not going to stop it. No, gross. December 28th, he drove into Russellville and shot the receptionist at a law office who had always rejected his advances. Her name was Kathy Kendrick. He was married. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he constantly hit on this woman, and she's always like, no. (laughs) So he shot her. He then drove to an oil company office where he shot and killed J.D. Chaffin and wounded the owner, Rusty Taylor, who were complete strangers. What? He's just driving around town. There was no rhyme or reason for those two. Not for those ones. Okay. He then drove to a convenience store that he had previously worked at and shot and wounded two more people. They didn't die, though. No, just wounded. Uh, then he went to Woodline Motor Freight Company, where he shot and wounded a woman. Simmons then sat and chatted with the secretaries at the freight company as he waited for police to arrive. He literally came in, opened fired, shot one of them, and then was like, all right, chill, call the police, and sat there and small-talked with them until the police came. He surrendered without incident, and he was charged with 16 counts, uh, found guilty, and sentenced to death. He gave up his right to appeals and solidified his execution, and on May 31st, then-Governor Bill Clinton, future President Bill Clinton, right. 
signed Simmons's death warrant, and he was executed on June 25th, 1990, by lethal injection. Wow. Yeah. Isn't that crazy, though? Especially the similarities between this, the Simmons case and the Lawson family. Yeah. Like, he had seven kids, he had assaulted his daughter, resulted in a pregnancy, Except and he, he shot most of them. I don't know, Christmas brings out the crazies. It really does. Something. You you tech oh you texted me earlier when we were doing research for this and you were like, Why do all of these like family annihilations happen around Christmas? I was like, yeah. dude. There are so many family annihilations that happen on or, or near Christmas. People just snap because it's stressful. All that time with like, your in laws. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I did want to give a little shout out, which I'm not gonna go into the details and I'd be surprised if most of you don't know, but John Bonnet Ramsey actually happened on Christmas too. Yeah, you can go check out that article, too. It has uh, 12 different murders that happened on or around Christmas. And that was at crimeandinvestigation.com.uk. And it's uh, the 12 murders of Christmas article. It was pretty interesting. And actually, the case that you're going to do was on that. Because I was going to do that, and then you told me which one you were doing. And I was like, cool. Yes. I'll do the other ones. So let me tell you about that one. I'm so excited. This one's called the Covina Massacre. So I'm going to tell you about Bruce Pardo. Oh, let's do it. And he's a piece of shit. I just want to start out with that. Yep. Findagrave.com has told me that Bruce Jeffrey Pardo was born on March 23rd, 1963 in Los Angeles County, California. He died December 25th, 2008 when he was 45 years old in Lamar, Los Angeles County. California. Okay. Let me tell you, he was not a fantastic guy. So Bruce Pardo was incredibly smart. He was actually an electrical engineer at ITT Electronic Systems, Radar Systems, and he had worked there for quite some time. Bruce Pardo, in 2006, married a woman named Sylvia Ortega. They were married, but soon they, they grew apart because Sylvia had found out about something really shitty he had done. He had a formal girlfriend who he had a son with. Mm-hmm. And when the son was walking age, he ended up almost drowning in their pool while he was watching TV. <gasps> oh my god. Yep. He was hysterical, though, when he called the police, even though he wasn't watching his child. Yeah, negligence, dude. And he sat by his bedside for weeks while he was recovering. Up until he found out he was going to be a paraplegic. Oh, no. Yeah. And so he left. What? He left. He left. He had nothing to do with this child anymore. He left his girlfriend. Wait, why was he going to be a paraplegic? Because he had so much... Because he oh, almost from the drowned. brain damage, yeah. like, killed him, killed his nervous system. Oh, oh my god. Yeah. Bro, what? Yeah. He was watching That's TV. That's your kid. <laughs> he was watching TV, and his kid, like, almost drowned. Oh my gosh. And then he finds out he's gonna be a paraplegic. And yep. And so he, he up and left. That's fucked up. Which is why, in June of 2018, Sylvia divorced him. Yeah, I would too. Because she found out Bruce was still claiming his son... On his tax forms. Oh my god. As a dependent. He had never paid any money. He never visited the child. Never had any contact after that date. I would have divorced him too. Oh my gosh. 
The court ordered Bruce Pardo to pay $1,785 a month in spousal support for Sylvia because she had three kids that he was also helping support. These were not, his three kids? No, not oh, okay. his three kids. Oh, Sylvia. Oh, okay. Sylvia's, Sorry, I'm on the same page. Sylvia's three kids. Okay. In July of 2018, he was fired from ITT for, um, it was billing false hours. Mm. So he was claiming he worked all these hours and was getting paid for it, but he wasn't. Okay. So he got fired from that, which kind of leads in leads into the motive. Okay. Because he started owing Sylvia all this money and she, like... She took him to court and she ended up keeping, you know, the dog, the ring, um, and $10,000 is what he had to pay her. Let's go, Sylvia. Basically. Right, exactly. (laughs) Good on Sylvia. But this turned upside down on December 25th. Oh. So Sylvia's parents, bless their heart, their names were, were Alice and Joseph Ortega. Mm-hmm. Okay. They had been married for more than 50 years. And they invited all of their family over for Christmas. They were going to have this big party because the Ortegas loved each other. They mm-hmm. were a big, happy family. They were respectful. They were kind. All of their neighbors loved them. So at about 1130, they hear a knock on the door Mind you, this house was filled with 25 people. Okay. I just want to say that. Big poppin' party. Right, exactly. They had a big family. I believe they had eight or nine kids. Mm -hmm. They had a lot of kids. And then their spouses came over and their grandchildren and all of that. Mm -hmm. So, this is when eight-year-old Katrina comes and answers the door and finds Santa Claus. It's not Santa Claus, is it? No, it's Bruce Pardo. Oh, no. But she did not recognize that. Right. So, she answers the door, and Santa Claus immediately shoots her point-blank in the face. An eight-year-old girl? An eight-year-old girl. Who loves Santa? Kids are supposed to love Santa. No hesitation when shooting an eight-year-old girl in the face. No. I'm gonna cry. the saddest part is he was holding a wrapped Christmas gift. (gasps) That's fucked up. What? So he went and opened fired on more of the family members, about eight more of the family members, eight or nine. Mm-hmm. He then unwrapped the package, which contained a homemade flamethrower that sprayed gas and lit the fire. What? A flamethrower? A flamethrower. This is terrifying. So good news is the eight-year-old girl ended up living. What? After being shot in the face? Mm-hmm. She ended up living. Oh, God. There was a 16-year-old girl who was shot and wounded in the back. She ended up living. A 20-year-old woman who suffered a broken ankle after she jumped out of the second floor of the house trying to escape. hmm There were 10 casualties. Oh, my gosh. And I'm going to read those to you. It was Sylvia Ortega, who was Bruce's ex-wife. Mm-hmm. Alice Ortega, the mom... Joseph Ortega, the dad, Charles, Cherry, James, Teresa, Alicia, and uh, Michael, Charles, who was Sylvia's brother, Sherry, who was Charles' wife, James, who was Sylvia's brother, Teresa, who was his wife, Alicia, 
who is Sylvia's sister, and Michael, who was Alicia's son. Oh my gosh. Yep. Were they all shot? They were all shot. Not only were all of the victims shot, but they were also set on fire. Oh my gosh. The entire house went up in flames. Yeah. Holy crap. Yep. So, the police believe that his motive was money. Mm -hmm. He just got fired from his job. His ex-wife's trying to take all of his money. So, they think he went and just took out the entire family. Mm -hmm. Because he was enraged that they... They got a divorce, he was enraged about all the money that she was getting, and then he lost his job for fraudulent billing. Mm-hmm. Jesus. Mm-hmm. After he had burned down the house, he drove 40 miles to his brother's house, where he then killed himself. He shot himself right in the head. At his brother's house? Yes, at his brother's house. What the heck? His brother returned home and then immediately called the police. What the yeah, his brother was not home. Dude, I'd be pissed. Be like, what? You came in my house? <laughs> so police hadn't connected these two yet. Because he was not wearing a Santa suit, so nothing really connected. And then they started looking deeper into Bruce Pardo. That's when they realized that he was married to Sylvia Ortega. Uh-huh. And that's when they started looking into him more heavily. They went back and searched his car, which was actually a rental car that he rented a week before mm-hmm. because he knew he was going to do this. Inside the car, they found guns, ammo, and the Santa suit. Also the flamethrower. Okay. But what they didn't know was that the car was was booby-trapped with pipe bombs. <gasps> no! Yes. So when you took the Santa suit out, it exploded. The, oh poli- the police were fine. Oh my god, okay. The police were fine. He rigged the same... What the fuck? Why? So found on Bruce Pardo's body were third degree burns, $17,000 in cash, and a plane ticket to Canada. Fuck you, Bruce Pardo. Mm-hmm. That scared me. Oh my god, I thought he was gonna... I thought the cops were gonna die. So... Remember how I said Katrina's still alive? Yeah. She's an avid gun control activist. Uh, I can imagine. Yeah. (laughs) She had something bad happen to her, but she didn't take it and go downhill with it. She took it and ran with it. Yeah. She, she gathers like all of her friends and they go do, um, like all these protests for, for gun safety. Mm Mm-hmm. Because of this just tragic thing that happened to her family. Jeez. So she's a badass. (laughs) And that's Bruce Pardo. He shot an eight-year-old girl in the face. Dude. I didn't tell you the worst part. Well, I remember reading part of an article, and I believe it was from Murderpedia. Uh Uh-huh. They said Bruce picked up Katrina like Santa Claus would and was holding her and then put her down before he shot her in the face. Well, before he... What? So you like picked her up like, oh, Merry Christmas, and then puts her down and then shoots her in the face? Yes. Jesus. Yes. That's fucked up. So it's not like he, oh, it's not like she opened the door and he just shot whoever opened the door. Like he mm-hmm. clearly knew he was about to shoot an eight year old girl. Yep. Bro, that's messed up. Isn't that fucking sick? Sick in the head. Yeah. All of these people. I hope you enjoyed our first mini murder. Mini murder. I uh, hope you guys all have a happy holiday, whatever you celebrate. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
Have fun. Be safe. Eat lots of good food. Hope you get all the gifts you want. See your family, but safely. Safely see your family and your loved ones. Uh, Merry Christmas. We'll talk to you later. Bye. Thank you guys so much for listening to Morbidly Intoxicated. Send us your thoughts on our episode. You can find us at morbidlyintoxicatedpod at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram at morbidlyintoxicatedpod. You can find us on our website at morbidlyintoxicated.wixsite.com slash podcast. You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash morbidlyintoxicatedpod. Thank you to Kelly Carroll for our awesome artwork. And if you didn't see, she added cute little Santa hats to our artwork. So go like our photo for right. so we can get all the validation that we need. <laughs> and you can find her at Art by Kelly on Instagram. That's Kelly with an I. Shout out to Taylor Hertz who did our amazing theme music. He also added little jingles to it for the month of December. We're so festive. Which we're going to use every year, by the way. Yes. So. He has a website, and it's taylorhertz.com. And thank you to Javi, and we, who did our awesome photography. We also posted another photo that he took of us recently. So go like that one as well. And he's at orangehavi on Instagram.